Lord, we give you thanks for the good news of Christmas. We thank you for God made incarnate in your son, Jesus. And we pray for all of us that once again, as we come to reflect on what this means for us, that your spirit will speak to us, that your spirit will shape our minds and shape our hearts and shape our lives, that we may go and bear witness to the great news that we've received. We've also, we also pray for those who are seeking you, um, who are here with us this morning, that you will reveal your light to them. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've run uh, Christianity Explored uh, at least 10 times, um, probably more than that. Uh, and if we ask people in Christianity Explored to bring their questions to the, co- to the course. We ask, uh, what are the questions that you would ask if you saw, saw, saw God? And there are many uh, people, uh, many frequent, frequently asked questions, but one of the questions that people ask is, well, if there is God in this world, if there is God in this world, why doesn't God make it more obvious? Why doesn't God just reveal himself to everybody and remove all the ambiguities so that people can get to know him, that everybody could be saved? But then this is what happens um, next in Christianity Explored. I say that, well, God has made it, maybe not easy, but easy enough that if you search for him, you can find him. There are evidence evidence there. Um, There are ways to find him. And then I say, well, why don't you come, continue coming to Christianity Explored. And then I might say, why don't you read this book, uh, Case for Christ or uh, Basic Christianity or something like that. I give them a book. But if you've come to Christianity Explored, you also know that this happens. Uh, The first two weeks are fairly full. The third week, it drops off. Um, Sometimes Saturday morning is just too much to give up for people. And then the books that I give them, well, they say, well, it's it's nice that the the book's there, but I just just don't have the time to, to read it, to really investigate. We just think that Taking that time out is just too much. (laughs) Searching for that is just too much. And here's where I think that we can learn from the magi of our text, in the magi of Jesus' days, because they certainly made an effort, didn't they? We're not told much about the magi, uh, but in verse 1, we're told that they're from the east. They came out of this because of the star to Jerusalem from the east. We're told in verse 2 that they came because they observed this star. Uh, these magi are, we don't know much about them, but were they probably Zoroastrians uh, from Babylon, who were modern-day combination of sort of astronomers who watch the stars, but also astrologers who sort of tell the signs of the time because of the, through the stars. It was a big thing back then, Zoroastrians. And now, if they came from Babylon... They probably traveled through at least 800 kilometers for weeks at least, probably for months. Remember, this is the day before planes and cars. They went in, 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 on camels. They no doubt went through storms, food shortage, water shortage, dangers of being foreigners in foreign land, wild animals. And at the end, they see, they meet this treacherous king, King Herod. They did all this without knowing exactly what they would find at the end of their journey. They saw something significant was happening. And then they left all that they had behind to search after this king to worship, as we're told in verse 2. The plenty of things, uh, they, they saw the sign and they searched after. 
But there are plenty of things, I think, here, even now. There are plenty of signs, even now, around the world that tell, that tell us that there is a God, that there is a Savior. I think this is true even in the, the, the best of philosophical thoughts. For example, Immanuel, Immanuel Kant, the German philosopher, argued, I think fairly convincingly, that we know that there is God. We know that there is God because there is moral law written in our minds and written in our hearts. Thomas Aquinas and many others have argued that nothing could come from nothing, that there must be some self-existent being that brought the universe into existence. There must be that first cause. William Paley is another philosopher who said that, um, that the world, uh, the, the, the best logical explanation for the world the, the being made the way it is must be that there is a designer that there must be God who designed this whole, uh, whole thing. How about prayers? There have been independent studies, um, many studies in, re- in recent days, that prove the effectiveness of prayers. All things being equal, people who were prayed for, without them knowing that they were being prayed for, people who were being prayed for healed faster than the people who, who weren't prayed for. No wonder the psalmist, Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The heavens and the earth proclaim the glory of God. We can know this through studying the world. But here's the thing. The best of this world, world's knowledge, world's wisdom, Get us only halfway, halfway there. Think of who the Magi were. They were the experts. They were the intellectuals of their day. They investigated the stars, but they were also watching the signs of the times as well. They studied the times, and most likely, they were culture watchers. They probably knew of the rumor that was there floating around the time, around Judea, and in, in, the, in the Middle East, around the time that, that, that a great ruler would come out of Judea. For example, Roman, uh, Roman Emperor Vespasian claimed that he was that ruler that was to come out of Judea. So when this star appears, when, there, when this star comes, Magi take it as a sign. And they go, oh, there must be this ruler that's coming out of Jerusalem. And so they go to Jerusalem. But you see also the limits of studying the culture and studying the world because they come to Jerusalem and they come and ask King Herod in verse, uh, verse 2, where, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? You see, looking at the creation only gets you halfway, halfway there. Romans 1 tells us that God gives us just enough that we know that there is a creator. But the creation doesn't tell us who the creator is. The philosophical arguments and even, I mean, think about Muslims. Muslims and Christians agree that there is a creator, but we can't agree on who the creator God is. In order to get to know God, in order to have this relationship with the creator, we need God's special revelation. The Magi went to Jerusalem and asked. King Herod then calls the teachers of the law, people who knew the Bible, in verse 4, and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they, t- they tell us, they quote prophet Micah, who tells them that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. 
They need the Bible. They need the Old Testament that records God's interaction in history with God's people. They needed that. And the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God's revelation to all of us, to humanity. The word that came to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. We need Jesus Christ in order to know God. So we need to investigate the scriptures, and we need to investigate scripture that points forward the Old Testament and points backwards the New Testament to Jesus Christ. Now, once again, there might be doubters here, um, even in this congregation, people who aren't yet convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. May I ask, will you investigate? Will you come and investigate? We're going to run Christianity Explored again in February. Will you come and and read one of the books, uh, one of the books in the the Bible yourself, Gospel of Mark, and investigate? Remember the effort that the Magi made. Do you remember how they ended that search? When they found him in verse 10, they were overjoyed. They bowed down and worshipped the baby. They gave up all that they had, all the treasures that they had, and laid down before him with great joy. And that's the promise. That's the promise. Jesus says in John 6.37, All those that the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Make the effort. Study the world. Study philosophy. Study the, the best of human thoughts. But also come to the scripture. Investigate scripture together. He will reveal himself to you. But it does mean that you get out of this cozy status quo and take a journey into searching Jesus. Now, if you are a Christian, I also would ask um, that you do this for the sake of others. Will you review the evidence? Will you get the foundations right? So when people come to you and ask, how do you know? How do you know that Jesus is alive? That you could give them answers. That you could answer people's questions. But in this text, we see the search, um, but there's a, a st- more astonishing thing is this. Even those who are convinced, who are convinced that these things happened, even those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again, don't always crown Jesus as their king. Sometimes it's actually just the opposite. So look at Herod's reaction in verse 3. News of the coming of the Messiah in verse 3. When the king Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. King Herod and the powers that be in Jerusalem were disturbed that the king had come. Of course, then he lies to the Magi. He, he says he sends them to Bethlehem and asks the Magi to come back to him so that he can go and worship this king. In verse 8, And as you know the story, of course, King Herod had no intention of worshiping this baby. In fact, when he finds out that the Magi avoided him and went back to their hometown without telling him, he gets so furious and he orders the uh, the, the killing of all the boys in Bethlehem and and its vicinity um, who were two years old or, or, or under. And if you're asking, why did King Herod do this? I think I know you, you think uh, I think we need to know a little bit more about King Herod to understand his uh, psychology here. King Herod uh, 
the, Herod the Great was a half-breed, half-Jewish, half-Jewish king. He was always insecure about his power and his legitimacy over ruling of Israel. So when he was appointed the, the king by the Romans, he killed everyone in the previous dynasty. All the Hasmoneans he killed. But that's not all. He once executed half of Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council, council about, of, made up of, a, of about 70 people, because they threatened his power. He once killed 300 court nobles. He once became suspicious of his wife, Mary Amney, so he killed her. And just to be safe, he killed her, her mother as well. He killed at least two of his sons because he became suspicious of them. He couldn't trust them anymore. And you see why he would order the killing of the babies in Bethlehem. He was the king over Israel. He liked his power. He liked being king. He liked the rule. He liked the privileges that afforded him. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, without being questioned. He was the absolute ruler over his own life. So when he heard about another king being born... He wanted nothing to do with him. He wanted to kill him. You know, this is the same, I think, for all of us. Why not be like King Herod in ruthlessly killing people, putting down anyone who challenges our power? But we sure like doing things our own way, don't we? Whether that's uh, how we spend our time. We like doing it our own way how we treat our family or co-workers in our workplaces, how we spend our money, what we, what we want to do with our lives, how we raise our children, what we watch, what we listen to. Herod felt threatened because he needed to give up his rule in order to crown Jesus as the king. And the thing is, he is right. He was right to have felt that threat because Jesus comes to rule over our lives. He tells, us, he tells us how we should, we should spend our time. He tells us what we should be living for. He tells us what our priority should be and how we should be spending our money. He even changes what we think is right and wrong. He comes to rule. Remember what we sang this morning, Joy to the world, that the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. If we believe this, we will realize how much we must give up to follow Jesus. That we can't treat Jesus as our servant. But really, to, we have to crown him as our king. And if we are to really know God and have this relationship with him, we must lay down our lives in front of him. We must deny ourselves and pick up the cross to follow Jesus. Herod felt threatened. And literally tried to kill Jesus. And as Christians, as once we crown Jesus as king over our lives by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit also begins a fight within us as well, doesn't it? We become aware of our sinful nature. That Nate wages war in our hearts, in our minds. That battle against Christ's rule over our lives. And we realize that crowning Jesus in our lives uh, as king, um, that begins a fight in us. That may be a battle against pride. 
that may be battle against insecurity or greed or envy or pornography, premarital sex, whether that's same-sex or uh, heterosexual, anger, selfishness, all of that, it begins that battle in us. The king has come. The king has come 2,000 years ago. And yes, there is that great knowledge of knowing him and being loved by him unconditionally. But we know that until Jesus comes back the second time, there will always be a struggle in us as well to crown Christ as king over our lives every day of our lives. So have you crowned Jesus as the king over your life? If so, then what are the fights that the Spirit has begun in you? And if you haven't yet, if you haven't yet, is it really because you aren't convinced that Jesus is the King? Or is it because you just don't like to give up your control, give up control over your life? But we seek to do this, and we can do this, because of what Christ, what God has done for us as our king. And that's why we're here, aren't we? Um, we talked about the journey that we must take um, to seek Jesus out and to crown him as our king. But let's quickly talk about the journey that, that, that God has taken. And I'm sure there are people who didn't come to this church because, um, this morning because it was cold. <laughs> because, I mean, I'm sure you felt that way this morning. It was, it was nice under uh, under the duvet um it's cozy we didn't want to some people don't make that want to make that journey i understand that because i felt like that this morning too but here's journey that god has taken he left his heavenly hosts the place of absolute perfect communion with this father and the spirit he wasn't born into the coziness of the jerusalem palace the city of kings and the prophets, he came to Bethlehem, our text tells us, a small city of no fame. He was born into a manger filled with sheep urine and poo, surrounded by shepherds. But that's not the biggest thing to marvel at on Christmas. He became flesh. Uh, I'm not too sure why babies cry um, when, they're first, when they first enter into this world, but Part of it must be the shock of leaving the safety and the coziness of the womb and coming into this world, into this harsh world, to take that journey into flesh and blood. God had taken that journey into flesh and blood with scars and bruises of life that being born entails. We talk about the dangers uh, that the Magi might have faced coming to seek, seek out Jesus. Well, God child is entrusted into the hands of two inexperienced parents in the world that is filled with sin. And he experienced sin right away, didn't he, when he was born? Even in the first years of his life, Mary and Joseph have to pack up everything and leave to Egypt to escape from Herod. And they can't come back. Uh, even when Herod dies um, to Bethlehem because they're afraid of his son, Herod Archelaus. So they have to go to Nazareth. Here is a king who left his home and came to live among the sinful humanity. He denied himself for the sake of others, sake of the people that he loved. And though he escaped Herod's assassination plot at his birth, about 30 years later, he willingly goes to the place of his death. 
He said as on his way over to Jerusalem, not that he wants to die, but that he must die. Because he's the only person who can be the ransom for the humanity's sins. Against uh, the sins of the people who rebel against him daily. He denies himself for the sake of others so that others might have life. And you might be asking, why should I seek Jesus? Why should I make the effort? Why should I deny myself and crown him as my king? But the question is, I, I mean, when I think about this, when I think about who God is, don't you want to know this king who sought after us in this way? Don't you want to know this king who denied everything that he had so that we might have life? Do you know a king like that? Do you know anybody like that? And the paradox of Christianity is that if you live, if you want to live for yourself, you will surely lose your life. But when you lay down your life in front of Christ, in front of the king who gave up his life, you will find that your life had just begun. And I've been saying this all Christmas long um, in different ways, uh, but I think it's an appropriate way to think about Christmas and what God means for each one of us. Um, John Stott, in his book, Basic Christianity, says, you know, no one reacts moderately to Jesus. No one reacts moderately to Jesus. Some people see Jesus and flee in fear. Others want to kill him. Others fall down to worship him. You know, the, uh, the Herod assaulted Jesus with fury. Magi came down to worship him. And I pray that all of us will meet this Jesus. We can't react moderately to this good news that God has came into this world to be our Savior. And I pray that all of us will lay down our lives in front of him, give up all that we have in great joy, and worship Jesus as our King. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we have lived in our cozy comforts of our life. Lord, when you took that journey of leaving everything that you had to become a human being, to enter into this world of flesh and blood, Lord, we, we know that that journey, even from the beginning, was filled with all sorts of peril. And in the end, we know that you willingly went to the cross to die for our sins. And Lord, we pray that in this Christmas season, we'll realize what you have done. And we pray you will awaken us out of our coziness, of our complacency. Lord, you lived such a radical life of self-giving to others. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to follow you as our king. And Lord, we pray that we will deny ourselves, that we will lay down our lives in front of you, and we will seek to follow you in all that we do. And we pray that the world may know that God has come into this world because of the way that we live our lives, because of the way that we follow you. And Lord, we thank you that you, we are not alone in doing this. We pray that you will send your spirit in us, that you will help us to fight this fight every day. And we pray uh, once again that, 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 that you, uh, people will know that you are a living God because of the way that you are working in our lives. We lay down our lives in front of you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.